Today we're continuing our series of sermons on the spiritual gifts. As Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, the Holy Spirit provides every Christian, every one of us, with one or more spiritual gifts that are to be used for the common good, to meet the needs of the entire body of believers, the entire church. The promise is that the Spirit will provide everything that the church needs. So if there's some area of lack within our church or within any church, it is because some of us apparently are not willing to apply ourselves. We're not stepping up and using the gifts that we have been given by God to serve others. And one of the reasons I think that's true is because we may not really be aware of what those spiritual gifts are. We don't talk about it a lot as Presbyterians. Pentecostal churches tend to talk about it a lot more, and they have that over on us. Last week, I talked to you about the gifts of leadership, which are mentioned in Ephesians 4. That is the gifts of apostleship, prophecy, speaking God's word to his people, evangelism, pastoring, and teaching. Today, we want to consider the gifts of service. So let's begin by reading together the sermon scripture for today, which is from Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 6 to 8. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. First, I need to point out that there is no one place in the New Testament, or Old Testament for that matter, because there are some gifts that are mentioned in the Old Testament, there is no one place where all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed. In fact, there are three primary lists, uh, and then there are many other places in both Old and New Testament where specific gifts are mentioned. But as I said last week, if you add up all of the gifts, I think the right number is probably about 22. I say the right number because different denominations or different churches will have a different number because they exclude certain gifts. The Methodist Church, I know they have a wonderful gifts inventory. The problem is that they don't include the, the miraculous sort of mysterious gifts like speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues, which I think is a problem because it's very clear in Scripture. So I believe that there are about 22 gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in Scripture. In order to cover these in a timely way, I've divided them into last week, the gifts of leadership, this week, the gift of service, and in the weeks ahead, we will look at the gifts of compassion, the gifts of discernment, and the miraculous gifts, like tongues, interpretation of tongues, etc. Although it would be fair to say that all of the gifts given by the Holy Spirit are miraculous. We're not just talking here about people's skills or their talents or what they're naturally good at, although that may be a reflection of their spiritual gift. For Christians, every Christian is given a miraculous ability to do something that the body needs. And that gift is from the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking about. Today I want us to look at the gifts of, the gift of, the gifts of service. And the first one, a little confusing, is called the gift of service. Or sometimes in scripture it's referred to as the gift of helps. Then we will talk about the, the gift of encouragement or exhortation, and then of giving, and then of mercy. All of these mentioned here in Romans 12. I then will include one more that's not mentioned here. It's found elsewhere, which is the gift of administration. So let's look at these one at a time. But before we do that, I want to give some sort of general observations about this passage in Romans. Immediately prior to these verses, 6 to 8, that we have, 
The very start of Romans chapter 8 is Paul's famous command to Christians that we should be prepared to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as our true and proper worship. Very well-known passage. The fact that he goes on then to talk about the gifts, one of the ways in which we make ourselves a living sacrifice in true and proper worship to God is by using the abilities, the, the spiritual gifts that he has given us in service to his will. He also tells us in the verses just prior to these that we are not to conform ourselves to the pattern of the world, rather to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in doing so, we will know God's perfect will for our lives. If you have always been unclear or frustrated about knowing what God's will is for your life, we are told here exactly how that occurs. By offering our sacrifice, by renewing our minds, by focusing on the things of God, and then God's will will become clear to us. And Paul then tells us not to think of ourselves as more important than we are. And he uses the analogy of the human body, which he does here as well as in Corinthians, that the human body has many parts, and all of those parts are necessary to the body of Christ, the church, in which people have different gifts and different functions, he says the same thing. That while the human body has many different parts and you need them all, that the hand can't say to the head, I don't need you, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you, all of us work together to be a complete body. In the same way, in the early part of the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul says, the church, which is the body of Jesus Christ, that all parts of it have a certain function to play, and by working together and being necessary to one another, all of the body functions correctly, and the function that we each individually perform is based upon the gift or gifts we have been given. That brings us to verse 8 in Paul's very clear statement here that we are all given different gifts for use in service to the church, the body of Christ. Here and elsewhere, it's very clear that everyone has different gifts. Now, it's, it's certainly true that more than one person has the gift of teaching. More than one person will have the gift of administration. But we cannot expect that everybody has the same gifts. Paul is very clear about that. And that's one way in which we, as Reformed theologians, Presbyterians, we feel the Pentecostal church churches may have that wrong because the Pentecostal churches believe the sign of God's presence in your life is speaking in tongues. And yet I believe Paul is very clear that not everyone is called to speak in tongues or to exercise any one of the gifts. We're going to talk about that more when we talk about the miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues and interpretation. But the point is that do not expect that the person sitting on your left or your right is going to be exactly like you in terms of how they are gifted by God. It is going to be different because we need different for the sake of the body. Paul then mentions first prophecy, which we discussed last week. Prophecy is not telling the future, if you weren't here. Prophecy means to speak forth God's word to his people, to speak for God the message that he wants his people to hear. Elsewhere, particularly in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that prophecy is one of the highest gifts. And he says, if you desire the gifts of the Spirit, you should desire most prophecy, speaking God's word, being a spokesperson for God. And that prophecy is one of the very highest gifts that we can desire. But since we talked about prophecy and teaching at some extent last week, I'm not going to get into those today, even though they're mentioned here. I want to move to the first of the gifts of service that Paul talks about, which is itself the gift of service, or sometimes called the gifts of help. Paul says, if your gift is serving, then serve. Duh. 
But the problem is that for many whose gift is serving, they stay home. They aren't there to meet the needs of the body. And in every case, what Paul is saying is, if you've been given that gift, then you should be exercising it. This is your true and proper worship to God. The gift of service, which as I say, I believe is the same as the gift of helps, which is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, is the divine ability. It's not just an inclination. It's the divine ability to do whatever tasks, large or small, that are needed for the good of the body of Christ. And especially those tasks that are done in a supportive role. The gift of service or helps is often characterized as the ability to see simple things that need to be done and to be willing to simply do them. Without fanfare and often even without acknowledgement, many of the gifts of service are things that, that people do that nobody else may notice. Those who volunteer to clean up after a church event, put chairs and tables away, those who take out the garbage, those who prepare food for Second Sunday or bring cookies or work to prepare for other activities, the people who fold the bulletins, those who prepare the communion elements, and more and more and more. All of these and many other examples are done by people who have the gift of service. It is not done up front, it is frequently not visible, but it is critically important. These things often go unnoticed, but I believe it is critical for us to realize that these gifts of service are absolutely necessary to the health and growth of the church, as necessary as any other gift, no matter how showy some of the others may seem in comparison. The ones who cook and clean and do the million other little things for all of the rest of us are just as important to the health of our church as those who preach or teach or appear up front for something else. I absolutely believe that's true. Because I believe that those with the gift of service provide us with something that is absolutely necessary for the functioning of our church. And I'll give you a very practical parallel example. It's not a church example, but I was a division director at World Vision, a Christian humanitarian organization. And in the 1980s, during the Ethiopia famine, I was asked to come to Ethiopia for six weeks on a secondment, which means I was asked to, to work for World Vision International instead of World Vision United States. So I left for six weeks, and I was the director, division director of two divisions. I was gone for six weeks, and everything hummed along just fine. If my executive assistant or one of our project coordinators left for more than a day, the wheels fell off. I learned very quickly who is really important for maintaining the functions of an organization. It's not the people in the corner offices, it's the people in the cubicles. And in the church, it's the people who pick up the dishes and put away the chairs and cook the food, etc. And we need to never forget, they are gifted as equally as teachers or preachers or prophets are gifted, and their work is critically important, and we need to recognize that. It doesn't matter what I teach or preach or do, if dirty dishes get piled up in the sink and the bathrooms never get cleaned, and no one prepares communication, the, uh, the communion elements, and no one organizes activities, everything's going to fall apart. I can stand here till I'm blue in the face, and nobody's going to want to come to church here if, if others are not doing the gifts of service. I absolutely believe that. The next gift of service that we have mentioned in Romans 12 is the gift of encouragement, elsewhere called the gift of exhortation. Exhortation, to many people, has a negative connotation, but it doesn't actually mean that. This is the spiritual gift of being able to comfort 
or strengthen people in times of need, or to urge them to action when they need to take action. The gift of encouragement is pretty easy to spot. Just think about who you immediately want to call when you've received bad news or you're feeling hurt or at a loss. Who do you want to talk to? It is very likely that that person, if they're a Christian, has the gift of encouragement because we call the people, it might be a friend, a sibling, or even a parent, because we know that just talking to that person will make us feel better and it will probably help us decide how we need to proceed with whatever challenge we're facing. The people that can provide that gift of service, encouragement, are critically important to those of us, all of us, with the struggles we have in our life. Now, it's interesting that the word we translate encouragement here is from the Greek word paraklesis. Paraklesis, which means to comfort, is the same root that we use to refer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament several times is, is referred to as the Comforter, with a capital C. The word in Greek that we translate comforter is paraclete. It is same, the same basic word as paraclesis, an encourager. And so in a very real way, those who have the spiritual gift of encouragement, the ability to strengthen and comfort other people, are directly reflecting a primary role of the Holy Spirit to bring us comfort in our time of need. The Holy Spirit works one of his most important responsibilities through those who have the gift of encouragement to bring comfort to those who need it. Now, the gift of encouragement is often expressed in counseling, in mentoring, in discipleship, perhaps even in preaching and teaching. It's always a reflection of friendship and of openness. The difference in the gift of teaching and the gift of encouragement, because both of them may involve teaching, focuses on, uh, or is that teaching focuses on the meaning and content of the word, and encouragement focuses on the practical application of the word to, word to help people in their lives. One is what does it mean, and the other is how do we apply it to our lives to make our lives better. And any teacher who's worth anything will have application. There'll be some part of that. But some people are especially gifted to encourage, to comfort, to help people understand how the word applies to them, to give them the strength they need for struggles. We then come to the next gift, which is the gift of giving. Now, giving is one of those things, along with intercessory prayer, that all Christians are supposed to practice but which some Christians are especially and miraculously gifted at. We are all supposed to give. We are all supposed to pray for others. We are all supposed to sh uh, show mercy, which we're going to get to in a minute. But the spiritual gift of giving means that a person has been given a divine ability to give with greater wisdom, sincerity, generosity, and without pretense or hypocrisy. People who are wise in how money needs to be given and how it needs to be used and do it not for their own sake or so they can be recognized, but so that the will of God can be done and people can be cared for. Now the Holy Spirit imparts the gift of giving to some in the church in order to meet various needs of the church and its ministries. So it may be missionaries or other people who can't fully provide for themselves. The people who give in support of our outreach ministries where we're feeding and clothing and caring for the needs of others. Those with the gift of giving love to share with others the overflow of blessings God has given them. Someone with a gift of giving is never going to have a problem when I encourage people to give. When I say we need to give at least a tithe or more, and people go, Arr! no one with the gift of giving responds to, a, to an ask for giving for the things of God in that way. 
Typically, a person with a gift of giving is hospitable. They look for ways and opportunities to help other people. When a person with this gift sees needs, God's Spirit inevitably or or invariably nudges them in a way that they feel compelled to give what is needed in that situation to be an agent of God's grace and mercy. This is what they live for, to be able to give, particularly to give material benefits, but also to give of themselves. And when they give, the person who receives ends up knowing that it is God who orchestrated the whole thing. In this passage in John that is so challenging, when Jesus says that, you know, use your material wealth to gain friends, and when it is all done, you will be welcomed into an eternal blessing. What he's saying there, I believe, is that if we are known to be a Christian and we use our, our material wealth to help others so that they feel kindly or in a friendly way toward us, if they know we are believers, that also draws them to Jesus. As they have a relationship with us, they are more likely to have a relationship with Jesus. And that's part of it. Someone who has the gift of giving will give in such a way that God is glorified and people are drawn to him. We then come to the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is the divine ability to feel a special empathy and care for people who are hurting in any way. These are the people who, when they walk down the street and they see someone who is homeless or someone who is hungry, feel that they must do something to help them because they feel what it must be like for someone who is suffering. Now, again, while all Christians are called on to be merciful because God has been merciful to us, those with the gift of mercy have a special ability to be patient and compassionate toward people who are suffering or afflicted. I've done a lot of work with rescue missions and a lot of people with people who are homeless. And one of the things that I've often heard from people is that the hardest part about being on the street isn't not having money or having enough to eat. The fact that people don't even recognize you as a human being. People walk by someone who is living on the street. Thousands of people may walk by and will not even look at them. Well, a person with a gift of mercy, even if they don't have any money to give them, they will look at them and say hello to them and ask them their name, perhaps, and how they are. I've, I've said before in some of the classes, there are ladies that sit outside Super Lake. And if you go in Super Lake, you see them all the time. Do you know those ladies' names? Well, the white-haired lady's name is Felicia. Say hello to Felicia next time you go in there. She is a charming woman. Someone with the gift of mercy cares about the needs of the people. They're not the people who just walk by. And this gift of mercy manifests itself as concern for the physical as well as the spiritual needs of people who are hurting. People with the gift of mercy have great empathy for others in their trials and sufferings, and they are able and willing to come alongside those people, sometimes over extended periods of time, and see them through the healing or the recovery process. Those with the gift of mercy are truly and literally the hands and feet of Jesus to the afflicted. The story of Mother Teresa, when she was working in Calcutta and had founded the Sisters of Charity, and a reporter from the West came and saw the work that they were doing, and they would literally go out and gather up people and say, it's all right, Jesus, you're here now. And they would take them back and clean them up and take care of them and love them, sometimes just until they died. 
And the reporters couldn't believe they were doing that. And they said, how do you do it? And they said, because for us, we are ministering to Jesus. Jesus quite literally said, as much as you've done under one of the least of these, you've done it for me. And so Mother Teresa and the sister who worked for them, for her, could say, it's all right, Jesus, I'm here now. They had the gift of mercy and saw themselves truly, literally being the hands and feet of God to the afflicted. And the gift of mercy is found in God's mercy toward us as sinners, and it is consistently expressed in measurable compassion. This, uh, the gift of mercy, are those who weep with those who weep, who bear with another's burdens, other expressions from elsewhere in Paul's writings. They are sensitive to the feelings and circumstances of others, can discern when someone's not doing well, and they understand that sometimes the thing they need to do is simply be there. It may not be that money is needed or anything else, but simply to be there. And finally, under the gift of service, which is not mentioned here in Romans 12, but it is mentioned in Luke 14, in Acts 6, and 1 Corinthians 12, is the gift of administration. Where would we be without the gift of administration? This is the gift, the divine ability to organize systems and tasks and people to accomplish what needs to be done in the body of Christ usually under the direction or the inspiration of somebody in higher authority. We all know these kinds of people. You may be one of these kinds of people. Folks that can create an effective filing system, who can organize the supplies in the church office, who can put together the church directory, who can set up a rotation of ushers and greeters, organize the church finances, or assign tasks to achieve a larger goal. While those in senior leadership may have the grand idea and may set the vision, it's those with the gift of administration who actually get the things done. And they are absolutely necessary for a church or any organization to work well. You can't have all chiefs and no Indians. And the Indians are the administrative gifts. So here is... We have what I have identified as the gifts of mercy. Service or helps. I'm sorry, the gifts of service. Service or helps, encouragement or exhortation, giving, mercy, and administration. How can you know which of those gifts applies to you? Well, what are you like? What do you do? What do you take joy in? If you're the sort of person who just naturally seems to step in to help, folding, cleaning, carrying, setting up, tearing down, then you likely have the gift of helps. Or service? Are you the person that friends and family members seem to naturally call when they need a shoulder to cry on or they need advice about how to deal with a problem? Then you, very possibly, are a person who has the gift of encouragement. Do you find great joy in learning about the financial needs of the church or the people in the church so that you can help give to meet those needs? And when you give, do you do so joyfully and generously? Do you enjoy doing that? without reluctance and with no wish to be recognized or praised for it? If so, then you may well be one who has the gift of giving. Or do you have the ability and desire to organize tasks, people, resources, and materials, working behind the scenes to help accomplish larger goals within the body? If so, you may be one with the gift of administration. Do you find yourself compassionately moved by people you see that are hurting or in need? Do you desire to interrelate with them and interact with them in a way that most people don't? Are you one who can't simply walk by? Then you probably are one with the gift of mercy. Now, all of these gifts of service are critically important to our church, to any church, just as important as the more showy gifts of leading, teaching, or preaching. If you have any of these gifts of service, as you would have noticed from the 
funny little uh, video that we had when we started our service. If you don't pay attention to those, you should. They're quite good. Carolyn's doing a good job on that. Um, if you have these gifts of service, then we need you. The church needs you. You, for your own fulfillment, need to be using these things. There is nothing as fulfilling, as satisfying, as gratifying as being able to identify what your gift is, what God desires for you as a Christian to do, and what he has specifically gifted you for. When you find that thing and begin to do it, you will find yourself loving it, thoroughly enjoying it. And at the same time, you will be meeting the needs of those who are in the church, those in need in our body and in our community, to the greater glory of God. Amen.